for you to turn to the book of Daniel. It'll be the Daniel chapter 1. chapter 1 and beginning in the first verse it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it and the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels with with part of the vessels of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar the, the to the house of his God and he brought the vessels into the treasure into the treasure house of his God. Verse 3 says, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that the end thereof there might, they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and unto, and unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and unto Hananiah of Shadrach, and unto Mishael of Meshach, and unto Azariah of Abednego. But verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And so I want to talk to you or preach to you a little bit tonight about the battle for your name and I'll pray in the name of Jesus we thank you God for the opportunity God to be in your house God and the opportunity God to feel your presence we thank you for the liberty God and the authority God that we have in this place God we we thank you God that we still have a freedom God that we can come in and open our mouths God and and praise you God we thank you God that we still have the freedom God to get into your word God and I pray God that tonight God that there would be an anointing God that you would speak God to the church tonight God and that the word God would find good ground God I pray God that it wouldn't fall on thorny ground, that it wouldn't fall on hard ground, God, but it would take root, God, in someone's heart tonight, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. And so you find that for, for decades, the prophets warned the rulers of Judah that their idolatry and their immorality and injustice toward the poor and, and the needy would lead to, to Jerusalem's destruction. And so the prophets they saw the day coming when God would bring the armies of Babylon into Jerusalem and, and cause this destruction and, and the people would be taken captive and moved to, from Jerusalem into a, a, to a new land of the Babylonians. And so a century before the fall of Jerusalem, you find where Isaiah proclaimed this message of Jerusalem's fall. You also find where Micah shared his burden of this message. And you find where Habakkuk couldn't even understand how God could use the godless and pagan Babylonians to to chasten his own people. 
And you find also where Jeremiah, he lived to see these prophecies and, and even his own prophecies come to pass. And so you find that after the fall of Jerusalem and its destruction, that Nebuchadnezzar captured the, uh, the Jews and he brought them into Babylon. And he gave instructions to his officials to bring him the, the best looking, the most gifted and the smartest and the, and the quickest young men. And it was Nebuchadnezzar's policy that that these people that he captured, he would take the best of the captured nations and, and he would uh he would put them through this course where they would they would have to learn these he would they would have to learn the uh the uh skills and the and the ways of the Babylonians. And and Nebuchadnezzar he could benefit from this from this course that he put these people through. He could uh use them to serve in his government. He could use them because of their knowledge of their own people. He could use them to, to strengthen his own administration. And so you find where Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and I don't know if I pronounce his name right, but it doesn't matter. Uh, and Azariah, where they were deported from Jerusalem and then to Babylon. So probably around the age of 15 or 16 years old. So they were at a young and impressionable young age where, where you know, the, the Babylonians may very well have been able to infiltrate their mind and indoctrinate them through this three-year course that Nebuchadnezzar would try to put them through. And so... Even at a young age, they were also considered superior, hence the reason why Nebuchadnezzar would want those, those four young men brought into his courts. You know, they were the brightest, and, and they were the best. They were, they were considered handsome. They were considered healthy. They were considered intelligent. You know, the, the Bible says they belonged to the tribe of Judah, and it says that they were of royal birth. So in every sense, in every way, they were considered the best of the best, according to the Jews. And so although it, it may have been an honor to, to be trained as an, a, an official in the king's palace for these dedicated young Jewish men, it would also be a, a difficult trial for them to adapt themselves to the ways and to the thinking of the Babylonians. And so you find that the purpose of this course that Nebuchadnezzar would put these young men through would, would be to transform them into Babylonians. They would no longer be Jews, but he wanted them to become Babylonians. And so the first thing, the very first thing that you see that he would come after was their names. And you find that, especially in the Bible, that names have meanings. And, and I know whenever even a parent, whenever they're uh, searching for a name to, to name their child, you, you pay special attention to what that name means, the meaning and the significance behind that name. And so it was the same even for the Hebrews in the Bible, that he's, Hebrew names had meaning and they had significance. And you even find that name changes in the Bible bore great significance in, in one's life. You find in... in um, in Genesis, where God changed Abram's name to Abraham to submit a promise that he would become a father to the multitudes. A few chapters, uh, chapter 32 in Genesis, you find where God changed uh, Jacob's name to Israel because of uh, the wrestling match that them two had. You find even in the New Testament, whenever Peter proclaimed that Jesus was, was Lord, that, that Jesus changed uh, Simon's name to Peter. And even on the road to Damascus, the thing that we're all familiar with, is that Saul's name was changed to Paul. So name changes in the Bible normally mark a major landmark in a person's life where that person's life was exponentially altered by God. And so you, you find here that in this, this text that, we, that we're reading out of, you find that, that uh, the enemy 
would seek to change these four Hebrews' names, and it would exponentially alter their lives. And, and so you find where Daniel's name was changed to, from Daniel's name meant God is my judge, and it was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Baal protect his life. Hananiah's name, which meant the Lord shows grace, was changed to Shadrach, which means the command of Aku. And they changed Mishael's name, which means who was like God, to, to uh, Meshach, which means who was like Aku. And then they also changed Azariah's name, which means the Lord is my help, to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. And can you put this consistency together that, that the names that were changed, it wasn't just a name change. It wasn't just moving them from one land to another. But the consistency in this is that the name, the meaning of the name was changed. It wasn't just the meaning, but it was the God that, was, that changed in the name. So, so Nebuchadnezzar's goal was to literally take God out of their name and to, and to assimilate them into a Babylonian culture that was, that was full, of, full of superstition, full of myth. And so after these names changed, Nebuchadnezzar puts them through this three-year course to assimilate them into Babylonian customs, ideas, and to get them to learn the language, all in an attempt to brainwash them into thinking and living like the Babylonians. And, and I would dare say that we live in a generation today that, that they would seek to brainwash and they would seek to, to capture the minds of apostolic men and women. We, we live in a world that would love nothing more than to, than to come in and impact the church rather than the church coming in and impacting the world. I believe we live in a generation, and you can see it in this present day and age, that evil is perceived as good and, and good is perceived as evil and judgmental and hateful. We live in a time where they, they want to silence the church. They want to silence the voice of the believer. They want to, there's a spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of Jezebel that literally seeks to shut the mouth of the prophets. But you know what? We're not going to live in that cave. Amen, church? We're not going to be stuck in that cave where we have to shut our mouth, where we have to fall in line with society. So, Sometimes it, it seems like delusional beliefs and thoughts, are, they're overpowering our generation. But I want to tell you that Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the, of the world and not of God. So what Paul basically says here is, Beware lest any man carry you off as captive. Beware lest any man... Put some doctrine into your mind and, and kidnap your mind. Beware lest some false teacher comes out and tries to pull you out of the church and into these mystic ideas and this new age religion and this Gnosticism and the, this foolishness that's being preached in the world today. Beware lest any man try to come in and, and capture your mind. And so when Paul tells the church in Colossians this, he's warning them about, about cults. He's warning, he's warning them about the false teachers and, and cult ideas. And it's the same today as what it was back then, that even then that false teachers and cultists, they weren't out trying to win lost souls. We're out trying to win lost souls. They're not out trying to win lost souls, but what they want to do, the spirit of the Antichrist gets a hold of them, and the devil uses them to come in and try to kidnap the mind of people that are in church. The, the devil literally wants to kidnap your mind. That's why you have to know what the Word says. That's why you have to know what you believe. That's why we got to listen to Brother Harrelson when he tells us that we have to get in daily and read our Bible. We have to get in daily and spend some time with God because we have to know what we believe. And so Paul is telling them to beware lest any man capture your mind. And so how is it that a Christian 
you know, someone that's considered a faith, a religious person that supposedly reads the Bible, supposedly prays, supposedly fasts, supposedly does all these things, checks it off here. I did this, I did that, and I'm good, I'm done for the week. I, I prayed, I paid my tithes, I did this. You know, how is it that a Christian that checks off those, those uh, marks in the box, how can they, their minds be captured? It's because in the first place they were ignorant to the truth of God's word. So if you become ignorant to the truth of God's word, you're leaving your mind susceptible to what the enemy has. And so when you don't know what you believe, you're going to be carried off by every wind of doctrine. You're going to be carried off by, by any false doctrine that comes his way. You ever, have you ever heard it said that if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for anything? You have to stand for something. And this is what we're going to stand on. We have to know what the word says. And so that's, we have to know that there's only one God. We have to know that, that there's only one way to make it to heaven. We, know, we have to know that it's necessary to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Why do we have to know these things? It's because there's a vein and there's a hollow and there's a deceptive philosophy of this world and an agenda that Satan is pushing to brainwash and to capture the minds of blood-bought Christians. And so the world's philosophies, they're, they're deceptive and they're empty because they're rooted in the wrong things. They're not rooted in God. They're rooted in traditions of men. Like Paul said in, in Colossians, they're rooted in traditions of men. And so the word tradition literally means that which is handed down. And so just like there's traditions of men that are handed down, traditions of the world that are handed down from generation to generation, there's also traditions, Christian traditions and Christian teachings that are handed down from generation to generation. Whenever you read about the early church and you read, oh, I forgot what book it was. It was required in my ministry of... Uh, classes and stuff. I forgot the name of the book, but you had to, to read about the history of the early church, and, and you find that throughout everything, throughout every persecution, throughout every bit of false doctrine that was taught, through the Roman rule, through, through everything, that there was always someone who passed the doctrine down, who passed the teaching down, who passed down the traditions of the church. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 3, Paul says, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the tradition which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. And a, a page later it says in chapter 3, verse 6, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother that walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which ye received from us. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others. It says commit these things to faithful men. Commit these things to people that's going to carry it from generation to generation. Teach these things to men, faithful men that's going to carry it on beyond our generation, but it's going to teach it to our kids and to our kids' kids, and he's going to keep on passing it on. Commit these things to those men. And so it's important for us to know where our traditions come from. Are they rooted in traditions of men, or do they come from God? And so there's traditions and teachings that we as apostolic believers have to uphold. And the first one is the, the preaching of one God. And so you find in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, speaking of Jesus, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And I believe that we live in a time where the spirit of the Antichrist tries to diminish the deity of Jesus. 
Hence, you have the doctrine of the Trinity. I don't care what they said 323 years after the fact. I care what the Word said then. It doesn't matter what the Council of Nicaea said. It doesn't matter what Martin Luther said. It doesn't matter what any preacher says now that preaches the doctrine of the Trinity. You know what? I'm not shy to say that that's the doctrine of the devil because I believe in one God. I believe his name is Jesus. I believe that God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels and he was preached unto the Gentiles and he was believed on in the world. You know what? John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know what verse 14 says. It says, And the Word became flesh. God became flesh, and He dwelt among us. He's not three. He's one. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so when you go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, where it says the word fullness, I'm going to drop some Greek on you uh, uh, tonight. Uh, uh, the Greek word for fullness says, is pleroma, P-L-E-R-O-M-A. And the definition of that word is the sum of all that God is, all of his being and all of his attributes. So when you go back and you read Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, In Jesus dwells the sum of all that God is, all of his attributes and all of his being. So everything that God was was manifested in the man, Jesus Christ. He wasn't three characters. He wasn't the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost all separated into three different things. We don't have to be confused about who to pray to because we know who God is. We know that he was manifest in the flesh, and we know that he came and he died for our sins so that we might be saved. Amen. Our God is one and his name is Jesus. And we got to hold fast to that teaching because the world wants to take it out of the Bible and say, oh, you're, you're, uh, you're coming against someone else's belief. Just like Brother Harrelson said this morning, the, uh, the act that they're trying to pass now, oh, come on, you can't preach this because you're coming up against a, a Muslim's belief. You're coming up against a Trinitarian's belief. You're, you're, you know what? I don't care what you, you're trying to steal my freedom, so you can, you can be quiet because I'm going to preach the word of God. You're trying to steal my freedom, but I'm going to preach the word of God. My freedom doesn't come from you in the first place. My freedom comes from God. Thank you, Jesus. And so we'll hold fast to that teaching, church. And so another, another teaching we have to hold fast to is the book of Acts, plan of salvation, that it's necessary to repent. You can't be saved unless you turn away from your sins. That's the first thing whenever, whenever Peter started preaching, they asked, you know what, we're pricked in our hearts. What, what should we do, Peter? What should we do? He said, first of all, you got to turn away from your sins. First of all, you have to repent. You can't be saved unless you turn away from your sins. What happens whenever you're filled with the Holy Ghost? You're a new creature. You're a new man. You can't keep living that old lifestyle if you want to make it to heaven. You have to turn away from your sin. And so we also have to hold on to the formula of Jesus' name, baptism, that it's essential to be buried with Christ in order for us to be saved. We have to hold on to the teaching of the infilling of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues. You know what? I, I don't care how touchy of a topic tongues is. I know that tongues are necessary. It's the, it's the initial sign that you have the Holy Ghost. I've heard people pull out 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and, and verse 27, but I want to tell you all, read the whole chapter. Read the whole chapter. You know what? They say, they teach you in school that uh, comp- reading and comprehension is key. Well, 
Why don't they get a hold of that and say reading and comprehension is key? They teach you to read in context, but why don't they read the Bible in context, though? Because the context in this chapter says it never, Paul never devalued the evidence of speaking in tongues. That He never devalued that. He said he, he already knew that it was the initial sign. He never devalued tongues as the initial sign that you've received the Holy Ghost, but he distinguished the initial sign between the Holy Ghost being that you received the Holy Ghost and and tongues as part of a corporate worship. So what Paul said, I ought that you all should speak in tongues. But he said, you shouldn't just speak in tongues. You should speak in tongues. You should prophesy. You should do all these things through the edification of the body of Christ. He said, you shouldn't just speak in tongues, but you should do all these things. So he already knew because he had an experience himself. He already knew that tongues was an initial sign. So yes, you must speak in tongues in order to be saved. Yes, you must speak in tongues if you want to receive the Holy Ghost. Our plan of salvation doesn't change. It doesn't change through the ages. It's always stayed the same. And so we'll hold on to that tradition and teaching of apostolic doctrine. And so another thing we have to hold on to is holiness. Eesh, holy. What, what's holiness? It's not just how you look. It's not, just, it's not just how you dress, which, of course, we want you to dress right, we want you to look right, but holiness starts on the inside, and it works its way out. I'm preaching to myself, and y'all have a front row seat right now. Uh, holiness starts on the inside. It, it works its way out. It's your character. It's who you are behind closed doors and, and who you are whenever people are looking. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verses 15 and 16 says, But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And verse 16 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So the world calls our standards of holiness, Oh, that's outdated. You know, you didn't do away with that. That's old-fashioned. They, they say, you're in bondage, man. What are, you, what are you doing? You go to a church, you, you actually live by those rules. That's legalism. They call that legalism. But you know what? I tell them, though, that my standard of holiness, it doesn't come from your rules or the regulations that you live under. You're the one that lives under rules and regulations because you have people telling you that what you need to do to be cool, what you need to do to fit in. But you know what? My standard doesn't come from man. My standard comes from God. So I'm not living under legalism. I'm not living under bondage, but I'm living under the freedom from bondage of sin. You know what? The curse of sin has been broken in my life, and now God's called me to live a life that separates myself from anything that's not godly. And so, holiness comprises purity and moral integrity, and it encompasses separation unto God. See, holiness under the law in the Old Testament included elements such as such as what you ate, dietary restrictions, and, and keeping the Sabbath. But holiness in the New Testament demands focus on issues of character and issues of ethics, how you are whenever, uh, how you treat people, how, you know, how you talk to people. Uh, uh, mo- most of you that have kids, you know that, that they take on your nature. Um, like they've, they've, told, they've called me John Jr., so obviously I've taken on my dad's nature somewhat. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, you know what, by the, by the same token, we're children of God, so we need to take on God's nature. So by the same token, if we're partakers of the divine nature, we ought to reveal that nature through the way that we live and godly living. Because, you know, before God filled us with the Holy Ghost, before we, before we became part of this apostolic movement, we were called children of disobedience. 
We were imitators of the world. You know what? We were imitators of a world that, that they somehow preach diversity all the time. They, they somehow say, that, you know, we want to be free. We want to be different. We want to we be different from everybody else. But all they do is fashion themselves after the standards and the pressures of the world and, and the pleasures of the world. And they say that, oh, we're free. We're different. But all they ever do is copy each other. But you know what? The world's ignorance has led them to fleshly indulgences. But if it wasn't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, that I would still be living in that sinful plot, that I would still be copying someone else's standard. You know what? He's called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's called us to, to suffer in, the, in his example and, and of his meekness. And in the middle of persecution, we're called to inherit a blessing, you know, and we're also called to eternal glory. But God is also calling to us to be holy. With his calling also comes the responsibility to be holy. He's chosen us so that we should be holy and without blemish before him. So holiness is an essential part of God's nature. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So we must be set apart. We've we got to be separated from anything that's, that's considered unclean. I don't want to come before God and be unclean. I don't know about you, but when I stand before God, I want purity and a sweet incense to come from my life. And so no, no, matter, no matter what, I want to be clean before God. And we have to hold on to the, to the teachings and to the traditions of holiness that the Word sets for us. And so no matter what pressures or what influences that the world brings, we've got to hold on to these things. And why, why would we ever follow empty teachings or empty doctrines of, of men that, that, you know, there's no fulfillment in that. But in doctrines of devils, there's no fulfillment in that whenever we have the fullness of Christ and we have the fullness of God's word right here in front of us. We don't need any other teaching. We don't need any other doctrine. You know what? Because we have this word right here, then that's what we're going to stand on. That's what we have to stand on in this last day. That's what we have to stand on in this age. You know, when the devil tries to take it away from you, you know what? The Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, we come to church, we sing the songs, and we, and we, we dance and dance. We walk around the church, and that's, that's awesome. But it's not the dance. It's not the song that's going to save you. It's the word that's going to save you. He didn't say thy word or thy march or thy dance have I hid in my heart. He said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The song doesn't keep you from sin. The word keeps you from sin. And so when you go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 5, you, you find where those, those Hebrews, that they were appointed a provision of the king's meat, and they were appointed a provision of his drink, and in three years that the king would nourish them in, in, his, in his ways and what he would try to do anyway. He would try to, to brainwash them and, and nourish them in his ways. And after three years, they would, they would be evaluated before him. And so what they were to be taught was a, was a new language. They were given new names. They were taken from, from their land and into a, a new pagan land. But the, the real problem arose whenever they were, they, were, they were taught customs that were contrary to God's law. So the Babylonians, they were, they were great builders. They were great calculators. They had great military strategies. Uh, their, but their religion was steeped in superstition, and it was steeped in myth. 
And just like Christians in secular schools today, the, 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 the teachers and, and, the, and the people that are in charge and the administrators in those schools want to put it in the textbooks, things that alter, that alter what we believe as Christians, and they want to alter history, and they want to say that we need to take this out of the books, and we need to take that out of the books, and, and we're going we're gonna to teach them these ways. And, and just, like, just like Christians do in schools today, they have to learn different beliefs that those four Hebrew boys, they had to master Babylonian history and science. And so you find that later on that these, these young men, they were exalted above all the others. They were, they were exalted above the magicians. They were exalted above all the officials in the, in the king's court. And so God gave them opportunities later to show that their faith was superior to everyone else's. And then there eventually came a time where the, where the king's requirements called, them, called on them to disobey God's holy law. But in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, and that he wouldn't drink the, drinks, the king's drink. He wasn't drinking from the king's Kool-Aid, but you know what? He would not defile God's law, but you know what he said? King, I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to eat from this platter that you put in front of me. And I want to tell you one thing, that the world is going to serve you up a silver platter in this world. They're going to put a five-star meal in front of you. They're going to put some, some good eating in front of you, but I'm telling you that it's empty. You ever heard of empty calories? That's what the world puts in front of you, empty calories. It might look appetizing, but it's empty. They might say it's no big deal. You can give in to this. You can give in to that. It's no big deal. You don't, have to, you don't have to hold that standard anymore. It's no big deal. Just let this creep in. You know, it's okay for you. Wednesday night Bible study ain't a big deal. Prayer revival ain't a big deal. Just, just let that slide. Let that slide. We'll be at church Sunday morning. And then here comes Sunday morning. Oh, I'm too tired to get up now. I don't, <coughs> I don't feel good. Yeah, I'm going to move on. But anyway, the, the world tries, to, uh, the world tries to, to serve this silver platter in front of you, and the world says, it's no big deal. You eat this. It's going to be okay. And I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar's food was the best in the land. I'm sure that everybody wanted to come to Nebuchadnezzar's house to eat. And I'm sure it was better than, than the peasant food, than just vegetables. I'm sure it was better than kosher food. But Daniel refused to eat that, he refused to drink that because Daniel wanted to be clean before God. That Daniel refused it because it was food that was and drink that was offered up to idols. And I want to tell you, you better be careful what you allow to come into your mind. You better be careful about the things that you're feeding yourself. Are you feeding yourself the word? Or are you are you sitting there letting things come into your mind and to your heart that's going to make you unclean before God? Are you letting things defile you? Are you letting idols come in and, and, and frivolous things take over your activities rather than you spending your time in the Word and spending time in prayer? Are you feeding yourself from the platter that the world slips in front of you? I'm telling you, there's a battle for your name. The world wants your name. He wants to change your name. There's a battle for your name in this generation. That's the one thing we have to protect is our name, our identity. Who are we? We're blood-bought apostolics. We're tongue-talking apostolics. We're blood-bought by the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so the world, it pushes its agenda. Hollywood and entertainment and doctrine, our society, and, 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 and these, these harmless shows that, that, that kids are allowed to watch, these things that you perceive as, as harmless, is, is this okay to watch this? And I'm not talking about VeggieTales, but the world says it's okay to, to let this slip into your mind. Yeah, it's okay to, to allow these things to come in. 
politicians and media, they're, they're lying and, and they're deceiving and they're cheating only so their evil agendas can be pushed along in this world. And so we live in a society that wants to literally squeeze us into conformity. They literally want to squeeze the Holy Ghost out of you. They literally want to squeeze the Jesus out of you to where you fall in line with the rest of the world, to where you conform yourself to what the world is. And so according to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says, you know, it, it talks about conformers as, as people who, who, allow the, who allow the pressures of the world to come in and, and, and they squeeze them so hard that they fall in line. Are we going to fall in line or are we going to be transformers? Are we going to be transformed by the, by the renewing of our mind? Are we going to be transformed by the Holy Ghost? We're not called, we're called children of God. We're not called to be transformed or conformed to the world, but we're called to let the Holy Ghost be operating in our lives. You know what? We can, the world's not going to conform, conform us because we have the Holy Ghost. And so when we feel the, ple- the pressure of the world and we feel the world trying to indoctrinate us with its foolishness and its, with its lies, you know what? We combat that by giving ourselves wholly to God, by getting in the Word. Every fiber of our being belongs to God. And so Proverbs chapter 12, verse 3 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And so a heart that, that loves God and a, a heart that trusts that trusts God, I'm sorry, a heart that loves God also trusts in God. And therefore, a heart that loves God and trusts in God is not going to have a problem obeying God whenever there's going to be consequences in obeying God. You're not, if you trust God and you love God, you're not going to have a problem paying the consequences whenever you, whenever you have to stand up for God. Not that God needs you to stand up for Him, but whenever you don't denounce your faith, whenever you don't fall in line, you're not going to have any trouble paying those consequences because we put our faith in God, not in man. We put our faith in God. He's, he's bought us with the blood. Not a man. The man didn't save me. And so, so I've heard some say that faith isn't only believing without seeing, but it's, it's also believing in spite of the consequences. And so when Daniel had to choose between God's word and the king's food, what did he choose? He chose God's word. He said, I'm going to refuse to, put with, to eat what you put in front of me. So do we eat from that worldly plate that's offered to idols do we eat from that worldly plate that's, that's been laid at the altars of idols, or are we going to give ourselves to God's word? You know, the spirit of the Antichrist is alive in this will in this generation, and it's seeking to literally rip and burn the pages out of this book. It's going to say, you know what, you've called out homosexuality as an abomination, so we're going to take that out because you're offending somebody. You know what, you've called abortions wrong, but we're going to take that out of the Bible because it offends somebody. You know what, you, you said you ought to be holy. We're going to take that out of the Bible because it offends them. But you know what, this is the word, and I'm going to stand on the word. You can do what you want to do with it, but I know what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to clean to it in this generation. They say it's judgmental. They say it's hate speech. They also tried to close the the church doors, but you know what? The church is being pressured, but we're not going to fold under that pressure because we trust in the power of God's word. The enemy is battling for our name right now. Right now, you don't even know it, but the enemy is battling for your name. But now is not the time to give in. Now is not the time to give up. Now, Now is not the time to lay down. I know you feel heavy. I know you feel burdened. I know you feel weighted down. I know you may not even felt like coming tonight, but you're here. But you know what? We're children of God. We're blood-bought children of God, and we're called to stand up. If now there's ever a time to stand up, if now there's ever a time to stand up, if now is the time that we have to put our place, put ourselves in a place of intercessory prayer. 
if there's ever a time we got to get our priorities straight, we got to get our priorities in order. I know we've already had altar service basically here tonight, but, but what if tonight we left and we had different priorities in our lives? What if we left tonight and instead of spending four hours tonight or tomorrow night watching a ball game, what if you spent four hours in the Word and four hours in prayer? You know what? We have to, now is the time that we have to value God's Word above everything else, above every hobby, above every, every little thing. God forbid I spend my time on frivolous things instead of spending my time in His Word. Jesus. Jesus. And so, even while Daniel was tested, the, the key thing is he, he still respected his authority. And I, I want to add this in that now is, not all, now is also not the time to be talking bad about pastor and, and bishop. Now is not the time to be eating them for breakfast, lunch, and, and dinner. And I hope I'm okay when I'm saying this. But, uh, now, is, now is not the time for us to, for us to talk bad about them or, or us, to, us to shut down when they lay their hands on us and pray. You know why? Because God's anointed them as the watchmen that are on the wall. And if you know what, if I find myself in a, in a bad place, you know what, I want him to call that out. You know what, I want him to, to bring the word to me straight. I don't want, I don't want any cookie-cutter, lucky charm sermons, but I want, it to, I want you to preach it to me straight, Brother Harrelson, Brother Patterson. I want you to preach the word to me. Don't bring anything else but the word to me. And so wherever, wherever God leads y'all to take this church, we're behind you. I'm behind you, Brother Harrelson and Brother Patterson. Wherever, wherever God wants to take this, we're behind you. We respect your authority in this church. And so you find that, that Daniel... He, he never backtalked or he never bucked up. He never, he never tried to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar in a, in a wrong way until the only time he ever, he ever defied the authority of Nebuchadnezzar was whenever it was contrary to God's law. And you find several times in Scripture that, that men had to, they had to defy authority in order to obey God. But you also find that they, they never threatened anyone. They never tried to stage a protest. They, they never tried to burn things down. They never tried to hurt anybody. But they didn't take matters into their own hands, but, but they had meek and they had quiet spirits. They were full of humility. And they saw their situations and their circumstances that they were in as, as an opportunity to prove the power of God and to glorify His name in it. And so you also find that because of the faithfulness of, of Daniel and his, his three Hebrew friends that, and what they represented, that God elevated them and God blessed them. And that... Since they were able to pass the private test, God blessed them. God elevated them above all the other officials. And you find that even those officials got jealous of them. And so since God elevated them, or God elevated them because of their, they passed that private test. But you also find in Daniel chapter 3 that they had also had a public test that they would have to, that they would have to pass, that they would have to endure. And so you find in Daniel chapter 3 a, a story that we've all heard and that we're all familiar with is that, Nebuchadnezzar, he builds this image, and it's an image of gold, and, and I'm sure it's a, it's a beautiful image. I'm sure that it's, it's just mind-boggling how beautiful that image was, and, and Nebuchadnezzar gathers the, the governors, the captains, the judges, and everyone that was of any bit of importance and had any bit of authority in Babylon, he, he gathered them together, and he 
Nebuchadnezzar commanded them and all the people that at the sound of this music, I want you to fall down and I want you to worship this golden image that I've set up. And if you don't, you're going to be burned in the fiery, fur- in the fiery furnace. And so at the sound of Nebuchadnezzar's musicians, all these people fell and they, and they worshiped that golden image and everyone but, everyone but, are we going to be the everyone or are we going to be, are we going to be the people who decide not to bow to that image? Are we going to be everybody else or are we going to be the people that decide that, you know what, I don't care what they do, I don't care what they say, but I'm not going to bow to that image. I'm sure, I'm sure that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm sure they got strange looks and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how they were situated and, and all that. All these people were gathered together. I'm sure that they weren't standing right next to each other. I'm, I'm sure they didn't have the comfort of each other's company. So next to them, someone was bowing. Every direction, someone was bowing down to this image. And you just look all across the crowd, and everyone's bowing down to this golden image. And you find where Nebuchadnezzar, he, he gives them one more chance because he had such a respect for them. And he, he comes up to him again, and he says, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into the fire. But also what Nebuchadnezzar tells them, he asks them the question, who is your God? Who is your God that's going to deliver you out of my hands? He said, where's your God at now? You're backed up against the wall. You don't have anywhere to go. Where's your God at now? If your God loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. If your God had any bit of empathy or care for you or compassion for you, you wouldn't be standing on the ground you're standing on now. Nebuchadnezzar said, your God doesn't care for you because if you don't bow to my image, I'm going to kill you. And so he says, who is your God? Where, where is your God that's going to deliver you out of my hands? He said, he basically stated the claim that, that I'm greater than, than the God of the Hebrews. He basically stated the claim that King Nebuchadnezzar is greater but you know what the, the Hebrew boys told them? He said, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. We don't, we're not intimidated by you, Nebuchadnezzar. We're not intimidated by, by what you're going to do to us. We're not intimidated by you because we know that we serve a God that's able to deliver us. But I like what they said next. He will deliver us out of your hands. He is going to deliver us out of your hands. I don't care how far back I am against the wall. He's going to deliver me. I don't care how far gone I am. He's going to, he's going to bring me out of that situation. He's going to deliver me. But if not, they said, but if not, but if not, we're not going to bow to your image. We're not going to serve your gods. But if not, you know what? If it ever comes to a time where I have to suffer for this, I'm not going to bow down. If there ever comes a time where I have, to, I have to suffer pain and affliction because of this word, I'm not going to back down from it because this is who I am. This is, this is, where, this is what I stand on. I'm not going to back down. And when the world asks me, who is your God that's going to deliver you out of this, I'm going to tell them I trust that my God, either which way, is going to deliver me out of it, that you don't have any power. My freedom never came from you. My freedom comes from God, and he's going to deliver me. And so... They were, they were surrounded by people who were accustomed to, to worshiping anything, and they were accustomed to worshiping idols. So this command to bow down to, to that golden image, it was, it was nothing to them. It was nothing that, that they would bow down to an idol, especially whenever there were consequences behind it. It was, it was nothing for them to just fall in line and do like everybody else. There was, there was, nothing, in, there was nothing to it. And so the difference between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the rest of them was that it was, it was the source of their faith. The difference between a true believer and an unbeliever isn't the presence of faith because just about everybody believes in something 
Even an atheist has to have faith because they have to believe that there's not a God. So you can't tell me that they don't have faith, but it's just the object of their faith that creates the difference between them and us. The object of their faith is the world. The object of our faith is God. We put our faith and trust in a God that's almighty and all-powerful. And so when the enemy tells me that there's no more hope, that it's over with, I'm going to put my trust in God and my hope in Him alone. I believe that He's conquered the enemy. I believe that in the book of Revelations, I've read the back of the book, and that He wins in the end, and, and that he, he, at the end of time, at, the, at that battle of Armageddon, He's going to be the one that's on the white horse, that's going to be standing on top of the mountain, and, and you're going to see these, these elite people. You're going to see these, these people that have lied and, and lied and been deceitful, and they cheated these, all these elite and, and rich and, and all, all the people that think they're all dead, and they're going to see God finally on that mountain, and they're going to say, Oh, my word. Oh, my word, save me from that judgment. Oh, my word, just let the rocks crumble on my head because I don't want to face the judgment. I don't want to face the judgment of the one God, and they're going to have to, one of these days, bow down to, they're going to have to bow down to the true and to the living God. It's not going to be to a gold image that Nebuchadnezzar made, but it's going to be to the the real, to the true, to the living God that they're going to have to bow down to. And you know what? We sing, ride on King Jesus. On that day, he's going to ride on. On that day, he's going to ride on, and every enemy's going to be defeated. Every time that the enemy tried to raise up a standard against you, that's when God's going to lift up that standard. God's going to lift up a standard against the enemy. And that's how the story is going to end. And so I want to ask you a question tonight. Since there's a battle for your name, where is your name going to be written at? Where is your name going to be written at? I'm coming to a close, and musicians, you can come. You know what, there's going to be a time where your name has to be written in one one book or the other. Is it going to be written in the the Lamb's Book of Life, or is your name going to be on the walls of hell? And that's... I know we're looking for encouragement tonight. I know we're looking for, for a message that's going to tell us everything's going to be okay. You know what? I have, I have trouble even, even all week. I, was, I, was, I felt the pressure of, of telling someone that, you know, if you're not saved, you're going to go to hell. If your name's not in that land's book of life, you're, not, you're going to hell. And you know what? The, the pressure of, of me having to say that is, is bore down on me. The places where I begin to weep and cry, God, I don't want, I don't want anybody to go to hell. God forbid, I don't want anybody to go to hell. But are you allowing things and distractions to come into your life? What what idols have you allowed to to take your time? What things have you allowed to to infiltrate your mind and turn you away from God? I'm telling you, church, we got to be saved. We got to be saved. We got to plead the blood over our lives. I don't know. I feel like I've walked all over this sermon. You can stand because I'm coming to a close. But, but and I'm, I'm talking to myself. Does, does Jonathan have any idols in his life? Do I have anything in my life that's going to make me unclean before my God? Do I have anything in my life right now? Any weights? Things that might not even be sins that... They, they, keep me, they keep me back from God. They keep me from fulfilling God's purpose in my life. We got to be saved. I'm closing. I want to pray for you tonight, church, and I want to open the altars for anyone that, that, 
if your name, if you don't know if your name is written in that book, you can know that before you leave tonight. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost or if you need restoration tonight, you can get that tonight in the altars. Or if you know for a fact that, that your name is written in that book, you can make an altar of praise for that here tonight. But I want to pray for you tonight, church. Dear God, I don't even know what I'm doing preaching your word, Lord. God, but I pray, God tonight, God, that you would separate us, God, from any idols, God, that would make us so clean before you. God, separate us, God, from anything, God, that would, God, that would separate us from you, God. God, I pray, God, that you would keep your hands on this church, God, and on the leadership in our church, God. Keep us back from presumptuous sins, Lord. God, and I pray, God, that you would bind up every attack of the devil, God, that comes against our minds, God, any attack of the Antichrist and the spirit of, of Jezebel that comes against our minds, Lord. Give us strength, God, in this day and age, God. And I pray, God, that you would save us from this untoward generation, Lord. 